Good morning, Lakeside and friends of Lakeside. Thanks for tuning in from your homes this morning. Though we can't gather in person, we can gather in spirit and truth and worship our God. A few weeks ago, we encouraged you to share your story, just an opportunity to tell what God's doing in your life and in your home during this pandemic era. We know we hear a lot of the negatives out there. Um, and so it is so good to hear good news. As, as we read in Psalm 828, God promises to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so all things are being worked for our good. And so there is good things. God is working and God is moving in our lives. Uh, we do have a few submissions so far. One is from Holly Chalky sharing her story, and I'd like to share that with you now. Hey guys, this is Holly. We have been stuck at home for a couple months now. Holly hasn't been working, so she decided to make these pot holders. And she's mailed some to people out of town, some people in church. She's dropped some off on doorsteps for people, just something that they can use, but also can um, maybe brighten their day a little bit. And I hope everybody's doing great. Holly also celebrated 15 years cancer-free this month, and we were able to celebrate with a little party last weekend, and um, we're just thankful for all God has done for us as a family and for our church family as well. And we hope to see you all soon. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Tracy and Holly, for sharing that with us. It encourages our hearts, and we hope that you are encouraged by encouraging us. As we turn our hearts' attention to our Lord this morning through song, let's hear from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's sing together. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my soul. This is my song. 
I'm excited to share with you um, that we have another update from a missionary family. The Bakers, who many of you um, have likely gotten to know over the last year when they officially made Lakeside their church home. And so um, as I was thinking through the Bakers and watching their update, I was reminded of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so this verse, these verses just reminded me not only of the bakers and the Sobies and the missionaries that we, um, that we support as a church, but that each one of us are ambassadors for Christ and that um, his light, even in the worst of times or during a pandemic, just it cannot be dimmed. And I just encourage each one of you to let the light of Christ shine through your life today. Hi, everybody. We wanted to give you an update from Thailand. Uh, we made it in before they uh, stopped all the flights. And uh, we got here and we've been getting everything set up and uh, doing pretty well, getting settled in. I uh, wanted to give you a quick update. One exciting thing is uh, we've been, we found a way to minister even before our language classes started. Uh, we were at the Juniper Tree, which is a guest house for missionaries. And we offered to do a worship service and then found out that they've been specifically praying for someone to come midweek um, to do that. And so we are now leading a, a worship service there uh, weekly and, and will be 
going forwards here. So it's, that's been really exciting. Uh, the boys are settling in well, which is um, great. We're super excited about that. Um, they were reunited with their toys, which was great for them. And then um, they're also meeting the neighborhood kids and uh, running out to play with them anytime they see them. Um, so that's been nice. And uh, just settling into the homeschool routine. Uh, we're finally reunited with all our curriculum, which is great. And we're just um, figuring out that rhythm of life. We have started our language classes and that's been going really well. Uh, it's kind of a one-on-one -on -one teacher student situation and the teacher is very, very patient, which is really important. That wasn't always our experience in our previous country, um, but it's just been going really well. It's challenging, um, but, but it's been going really well. Uh, so you can pray for us through this transition. Um, obviously COVID-19 has uh, really interrupted our life as it has everyone's. Um, they are selling food and um, cleaning supplies and things like napkins and paper towels, but um, everything else is roped off in the store. So things like shelves and things, bins or things that we wish we could have to get our house set up are a little harder to uh, acquire. But, um, you know, we're managing with the books in a pile and we've figured out how to order online. So anyway, um, hopefully that'll, as life goes on, that'll get sorted out. Um, we really haven't had any culture shock. Uh, we've only been here two months, but um, we knew what Thailand was like before we came and we just, we love it here. We're so excited to be here. Um, we know we're probably in the honeymoon period, um, but we're enjoying it while it lasts and um, we are just so excited to be here. So um, pray for us through the transition. Transitions are always hard and uh, we're just missing you guys and uh, we really appreciate your prayers.
Well, good morning, Lakeside. It's a joy to be together and to consider the scriptures together. Uh, we have been going through a series on the parables in the Gospel of Matthew, and there are two more parables to go today and then next week. Uh, after we conclude the parables, uh, we'll be going to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, to consider what that says about being made in the image of God and the uniqueness in how God made us to reflect him and the privilege and the responsibilities that come with that uh, as his creation and his children. But I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, where we're going to read of a parable connected again to a wedding. This one is entitled The Parable of the Ten Virgins. And here in the life and ministry of Jesus, we are now getting closer and closer to the end, where he is about to share the Last Supper with his disciples and then offer his life as a sacrifice on the cross and rise again from the dead. And we said at the very beginning of this series that one of the purposes of the parables was to reveal truth to his followers, but also to conceal truth from his enemies. Because it's been a long time now that people have wanted to arrest Jesus. They've wanted to catch him saying something that he shouldn't say so that they could justify putting him in prison. But now that we are so close to the end, uh, Jesus is no longer concealing anything, even from his enemies. And in Matthew chapter 23, in the temple for anyone to hear, he spoke directly to the religious leaders of his day, and he spoke woes over them. And uh, there, there aren't metaphors or stories to hide anything. It is direct rebuke and confrontation of his enemies for their disobedience and their unwillingness to receive him as the Messiah and their efforts to try to keep other people from receiving him as the Messiah. And so now, even when we come to this parable, the, the focus of it shifts from describing what the kingdom of heaven will be like to answering the questions of the disciples about when the end will come. Just like Jesus had pronounced a judgment over the leaders right after that, then he announced that the temple itself would one day be destroyed. And that was hard for even Jesus' disciples to wrap their minds around. When they came to Jerusalem, they were all impressed at the size and the scope, the beauty, the magnificence of the temple. And so even though they saw Jesus do all kinds of miracles and they knew he could do things that no one else could, when they heard Jesus say that the temple itself that was so impressive to them would one day be destroyed, they started asking him questions about when that would happen and how they could know in advance when something that drastic would take place. And so today's parable and next week's now focuses on Jesus preparing his disciples for the prophecies that he has made about his own end of earthly ministry and the end of the temple, which they were all experiencing. So this is Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And that concludes today's parable. So you see this shift of not as much describing the characteristics of the kingdom, but here seeking to prepare the disciples and all the future followers of Jesus for what it will be like when the end comes. And so I think this story provides us an opportunity to reflect on at least three questions. The first, that we notice that all of these women together faced was a reality of a delay in the bridegroom coming. And so the first question, are we prepared for a delay? All of them have been given some sense that the time was close, that the bridegroom was in route. And in anticipation of that, they all grabbed a lamp and were ready to meet him. And all of them together experienced a delay long enough that they all became tired and fell asleep. And so that was experienced by all of them. And when it comes to our preparations for things, this is one of those that we have to factor in. As we prepare to arrive anywhere, to do anything, are we also prepared for things to go differently than planned, for them to take longer than we otherwise might have uh, accepted? Uh, There was a time when uh, Amy and I and the kids with Amy's parents were all together in Israel and needing to get back to the airport to catch our flight back to the United States. And the flight was at noon, and where we were staying on the Sea of Galilee was about two hours away from the airport in Tel Aviv. And so we knew we had a two-hour journey in front of us. But in my mind, I wanted to be prepared for the length of time that this travel was going to involve for all of us. So two hours in a car, followed by 12 hours on a plane, with a five, three, and one-year-old at the time— had me thinking, I want to start this morning in as good of a mood as possible and get ready for everything that's in front of us. And the place that we were staying at always had a a banquet at breakfast, just tables and tables of food to be enjoyed by all of the guests. And so Amy's parents got up early and they had their breakfast. And then they came to us and said, "It's, it's time to go now to the airport. And I was the one who said, well, wait a minute, we haven't had breakfast yet. 
And I could tell there was a little bit of concern, uh, wondering if there was enough time for us to go have breakfast and still make it uh, in, in time for our flight. But in my mind, part of preparing for the day was enjoying this meal and then getting on our way. But by doing that, I left us no time for any interruptions in that two-hour trip to the airport to take place. And sure enough, there was a car accident on the freeway, the only freeway that could connect us to the airport that had basically shut down the road for a period of time. And so after now, I and the kids have eaten our breakfast and we're sitting in the car and our GPS is telling us how long and significant the delay is, I'm feeling increasingly guilty and regretful that though we all knew this time was coming and we knew when we had to be there, I thought I was still on time, but I was on time for nothing wrong happening. I wasn't prepared for any delay in our travel. And so as we got closer and closer and eventually the the stalemate was uh, alleviated a little bit and we could start moving again, we had to think through the best adjustment to make. And so for me, instead of going to the rental car place and all of us then getting a shuttle to the airport, I dropped off everyone so that they could get in line to check in while I then went and took care of the car rental. And so I dropped them off and they grabbed all the bags now with one less person to help them carry all of that inside. And then there's a gas station right in route to the airport. And so I stopped there. And again, I realized I wasn't as prepared as I thought I should be. They filled up the car. I think I'm ready to return it, but they only will accept cash. I didn't have any cash. In preparing to leave, I had gotten rid of or transferred all of my cash and all I had was a card. I thought that would be no problem in using that. And so now the workers at the station don't want to let me leave because they think I'm trying to basically take free gas from them. And they don't speak English very well and I can only communicate so much. So I try to show them my wallet and prove to them that sincerely I'm not withholding cash from them. I don't have it. And if there's any way I can pay with a card, I would gladly do that. But I need to get into this airport as soon as possible. And after a bit of a back and forth, what do you know? They did have a credit card machine and I could pay for it with my debit card. But all of that just led to more delays for me getting to the airport and having any hope of joining them in line to get on this flight. And... I, could, I just increasingly felt the guilt and the tension of that. Here, for the, all the ladies anticipating the coming of the bridegroom, they don't know exactly when this is going to happen, but it's a joyous occasion. There's a sense of excitement that they all share, but the bridegroom is delayed in coming. And some of them were ready for the delay, and some of them weren't ready for the delay. And for us, it's a a challenge in our own walk with the Lord. Sometimes we can, if a certain situation provides enough pressure or enough pain to come to a quick resolution that 
we're going to repent or we're going to follow after God or we're never going to make the same mistake that we did. And it's possible in a moment for, for many of us to decide to do the right thing. But if there's a sense of delay, our commitment wanes. If, it, if it's going to take a little bit longer than we thought it was going to take, it wears on us. And all of us are experiencing that in this quarantine now. It, it feels like so long ago, but I can remember when we initially announced the cancellation of services. A few people asked initially, well, how long do you think this will be? And when it first happened, for most of us looking out into the future, the sense was that this was going to be a temporary interruption. If we all agree to do this, then maybe it'll be for about three weeks, and then we'll be back. And then as the news continued to unfold, that this is going to be longer than any of us would have known or anticipated, for all of us, that has a sense of wearing us down, that very few of us could have been prepared for the delay that took place. And here, in our story, the delay is long enough that they all fall asleep. They all grow tired. But some of them were more ready for what was going to happen because the next question we're wrestling with is, are we prepared for a sudden arrival? And there's a tension between these two things. Are we prepared for a delay and prepared for a suddenness to the arrival? Uh, in our culture, when we think of time, we usually announce the time that something is happening, and then the event starts on that time whether everyone is there or not. But in ancient cultures, and still in many cultures today around the world, things don't start at a specific time. They start when everyone who's supposed to be there finally gets there. And so though many of the people would have known that the wedding is going to take place soon, there wouldn't have been a set time which people could have been late or early for, but it was going to start whenever the important people and the necessary participants arrived. And Jesus is making that point about his own return. In the previous chapter, he made clear as they were starting to ask questions about what time this would come. And he's saying, don't think in terms of a number or a date of when it's going to happen, but realize when it comes and when he returns, when he assumes his authority in his glory and rule and reign over his kingdom, that is the time of his arrival. And there will be a suddenness. There will be no more delay because everyone who needs to be there now will be there. And so all of the activities will commence. On that same trip, as I mentioned, I dropped off Amy and the kids and her parents and they got in line. Well, my delay at the gas station and returning the car had me now delayed from joining them for so long that they finally made it up to the counter. And the representative of the airlines asked Amy, are you prepared to get on this flight without your husband? 
if you're prepared to get on this flight without him, I'll check you in and you can go forward. But if you're not prepared to do that, then I'm going to have you stay until he comes. And so she had to quickly think there about a decision that once this starts, this will be sudden. And if I'm any later, whatever my intentions are, if I'm outside the security, if I'm still outside the airport, I won't be able to get on this with them. Thankfully, right as she was being asked that question, I made it into the airport. And she looked back sort of in a hoping that I would come so that she wouldn't have to answer that question. And I came through the door and was able to run up to the front and we didn't have to make that decision. But it, there was a suddenness that needed to be considered. And Jesus is saying that when he comes, the party will start, the things will begin, and you either will be ready or not. And here in our story, it takes place at midnight, that there is a cry. We don't know what caused the delay. We don't know why it was longer than many of them thought it would be. But it began the moment that he arrived. And we have to consider if we are prepared for the suddenness of the return of Jesus. On March 3rd of this year, I had the opportunity to go to my alma mater, the University of Akron, and attend what was titled the Economic Summit for 2020. And it was mostly a panel discussion led by a former head of the Cleveland Federal Reserve interviewing representatives from three major banks in our region, Fifth Third Bank, PNC Bank, and Huntington Bank. And at that time, asking most of them just to give a, a forecast as best as they could of the economy in 2020. And this was at the very beginning where there were already cases of coronavirus in pockets of our country, but no one still yet knowing how pervasive of an issue this would be. And so it, it was a, a great conversation that took place, but you could already tell that morning that most of the people talking were qualifying their statements, that the future was looking less and less certain and so they didn't know what was wise to say or not to say, how cautious to be or how optimistic to be. But in all of that caution and all of the qualifying statements they made, something that they all agreed on was that as an entire nation, generally, Americans do not save for the future. And so for them, the biggest indicator of whether we should be optimistic or negative was our employment rate. Uh, all of them agreed that 60 to 70% of our economy is based on consumerism. And the majority of Americans do not have an adequate savings for an emergency to come in their lives. And so the biggest indicator at that time for the strength of our economy was if people could stay employed so that they could continue to spend in the way they did 
but for all of those panelists with no sense of expectation that they would increasingly save for bad days ahead. And on March 3rd, the unemployment rate in our country was at historic lows. And so most of them, even in their caution, were generally optimistic. And none of them could have anticipated how suddenly things would change in a matter of weeks. But the vulnerability that they could all agree on was that there is so much messaging and commercializing, commercializing in our society to tell people not to worry about the future, not to save for a rainy day, and just to enjoy what they have and to consume it, and even to do so above and beyond their means. Now, you might be someone who is in a very painful spot right now because you, like all of us, could not have anticipated how sudden and drastic the change in our economy would be. And so I don't say this for you to feel any more sense of shame or guilt. This wasn't something true about only one or two of us. This was something that they could agree had become a societal reality. And so it's something now that even as we think of the future and whatever it means to reopen the economy and to get people employed again, we have an opportunity now in realizing how suddenly things can change, how dramatically and quickly things that we thought were certain could disappear, that there is wisdom in all of us having caution, in all of us doing whatever it is we can to prepare for things to be not only different, but suddenly different. Hopefully that will be a lesson learned by all of us to take nothing for granted and to do what we can in the future to be better and wiser. And when 10 years from now, other people are talking to us and seem like they know exactly what the future is going to be and they know how everything's going to work out, that all of us would be able to say to them, you know, sometimes it looks that way. <laughs> But it would still be really wise for you to take nothing for granted, for you not to assume that all of your plans are just going to unfold exactly like you wish and think that they would. Some things take longer than you thought they will, and other things change faster than you will be prepared to respond to them when they take place. And that's how Jesus is telling this story of when it comes to the end. When it's the end of his life, which is going to happen in just another day in Matthew's gospel, the disciples are still going to be caught off guard by that. He, he's been preparing them. He's been telling them it's going to happen. But they will still, all the way up until the Last Supper and into the garden, they're going to be caught off guard this person that they have enjoyed the fellowship and company of is going to be taken from them. He's going to be mistreated. And then just a few decades later, this building, this temple that they're all impressed with 
when the Romans come, it's going to feel so sudden when they destroy it. And he's trying in love to prepare them for those realities. And just like they needed to heed that message in their day, we need to heed that now. And so the last question that I think this parable invites us to consider is, are we prepared to look foolish now and be found wise in the end? Now, I admit that doesn't come directly from the parable, but it comes from what Jesus said right before he started the parable. He referred for all of his disciples back to Noah and gave the example of Noah to drive home the point for them that in Noah's day, as he was preparing for the rain, he looked foolish to most of the people watching him. They were going about eating and drinking and being merry, and Noah looked like the one wasting his time building the ark. And that story continues in our imagination for centuries to highlight this reality. That as Jesus now tells the story of the virgins, he's been telling us from the beginning who is wise and who is foolish. But if he wasn't telling the story and we were just looking at it from the outside, we don't know who's wise or who's foolish until the end. The ones who took no extra oil with them could have been the wise ones because they didn't waste any time making preparations for the future. They just got ready and they joined the celebration. It's only in the conclusion of the matter that we look back on it and say, yeah, that wasn't good. (laughs) That was foolish. And the ones who took the time to carry extra oil with them and extra weight with them that might have looked like not the best thing to do, in the end, proves to be, in fact, wise, genius. And in our own lives, when we think about our responsibility to God, our responsibility to the stewardship of everything he's given us, our responsibility to love our neighbors and to work for their good and the common good of all, are we willing to look foolish now and prove to be wise in the end? If we are, then we will do the things that are necessary to prepare for a delay, to prepare for a sudden arrival. Whether or not anyone is congratulating us, whether or not anyone is encouraging us, when other people are saying, don't worry about the future, or don't worry about having something extra, there are no stormy days ahead if we are willing in humility to say, no one knows the future. We all need to be ready. It's important for each and every one of us to take these things seriously. Then we will do the everyday and ordinary things that are necessary and over a long period of time, in the end, prove to be wise. And I don't know if you struggle with this like me. I'm happy to have different opinions than other people, to disagree at times and agree to disagree. I don't like it, though, when someone else thinks I'm stupid or when someone else thinks I'm ignorant or thinks I'm foolish for what I'm doing. 
I'm happy if we can talk things through and just agree to disagree, but there's something in me that wants to try to articulate it in a way that makes it make sense and looks to be the wise thing to do. And I've had to realize I don't always control what people's perceptions are. And I don't have the responsibility to try to control that. God is not in this story telling you or I to do what is wise in the eyes of the people around us. He's asking us to do what is wise in relation to what we believe is coming in the end. And just like people maligned Christ himself and the disciples, that's going to happen to us. Just like people mocked Noah, they're going to do that for us. And we're not called to return the mocking and the name calling back. But we are called in our hearts and our spirits to be prepared for it so that we don't allow it to get us to change our behavior and to no longer make the preparations that are necessary to make for each and every one of us. And so this story challenges us to think through whether or not we are prepared for a delay in the coming of Christ, but yet for the suddenness of it when it comes. And from now till then, in whatever ways we can, to be willing to look foolish, to one day be shown as wise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we continue to be amazed at how relevant your wisdom and authority is for the very things we are wrestling with in our lives in 2020. That you really are the sovereign God over time and space and eternity. And so your words spoken in the first century still have so much convicting power, so much warning and wisdom, so much grace and counsel for what we need right now. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to heed the warning, to be ready and prepared as we are excited about the goodness of your coming, that it would be something we never take for granted, but that every day you would help us to make the small choices of humble obedience, that whether or not other people think it's wise or good, that our eyes would be fixed upon you and ready for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
of heaven when victory is won may i reach heaven's joys oh bright heaven's sun such an appropriate song to conclude our service on that if we understand the parable right even those who prepared for the bridegroom are never supposed to feel a sense of pride over the other ones who haven't the vision the focus is on the goodness of the bridegroom the opportunity to celebrate and for us to know that our vision is on the Lord. The Apostle Paul would tell the Corinthians that they were not to boast in themselves and in their wisdom and in their goodness, but in having made the appropriate preparations for the Lord, that their boast was to be in the Lord. And so may we go this week and in our preparations boast in the Lord and in the Lord alone. He holds all things, all things, all things together.